Hi everyone and welcome back to When the World Falls podcast. I hope you had a fantastic new year and holiday season and are having a very nice return to work, school, whatever it may be that you're doing. I'm your host Teresa and this is the true crime slash like social work-ish podcast. Um, Just a little background on myself is I am a registered social worker who's worked predominantly in mental health, adult mental health, child welfare, um, and disabilities. The focus of this podcast is really looking to bring awareness of cases who don't usually get a lot of media attention or who have faded from the public eye over the years. Um, So we try to avoid anything that's really popular just to kind of refocus our attention on cases that we don't often hear on other podcasts. Currently, our format is a couple of different mini-series that we have going on. So it includes one focusing on Jane Doe's and John Doe's that have yet to be identified, another one focusing on missing individuals, a third one focusing on um, the murder of children in government care, so foster care, group care, or kinship care, or adoption, um, and the final one is focused on parents who kill their children. So I'm sure you figured it out, but as a general content warning, our po- our these podcasts involve the discussion of crime against adults, children, children, infants, seniors, everyone. Um, I'm not going to be graphic because there's no need to be, but just kind of like keep in mind that there will be conversations at times that discuss sexual assault or torture or domestic violence or like unpleasant things that humans do to other humans right and I just want everyone to kind of be aware of that um there's not really any swearing but like there's a lot of like unpleasantness that we're going to be discussing here so just as a heads up um this is our second episode of our forgotten series which is looking at um missing people so we have two people for us that we're going to talk about today The first one is Sherry Lynn Marler from 1984, and the second one is Morgan Nick from 1995. So let's get started. So Sherry Lynn Marler was also known as Little Farmer. Born in 1972, Sherry Lynn grew up in in Greenville, Alabama. She was known as a tomboy who loved everything farm-related, hence her nickname, At the time, Greenville was a quiet town of only 7,600 people with minimal crime and and was a place where everyone felt felt safe and, you know, left their doors unlocked, their cars unlocked, everything, like kids walking back and forth from school, you know, very idyllic. Uh, But that was until the morning of June 6, 1984. Early that morning, Sherry's mom, Betty Stringfellow, left for her 7 a.m. Waffle House shift. She left Sherry napping on the couch as she had given up her bed to her aunt who was visiting the home at the time. This was the last time that Betty would see Sherry. At 9 a.m., Sherry woke up and saw that her stepdad Raymond was about to leave for the bank in town. Not one to turn down an outing, she grabbed her shoes and ran after him to tag along. Raymond and Sherry arrived at First National Bank at 9.30 a.m. Raymond had some papers to sign, and Sherry mentioned she was thirsty, so he gave her a dollar and told her to pop over to the Chevron gas station and grab a drink. This gas station was known to be directly across from the bank where he was going to be at. 
Multiple witnesses saw Sherry crossing the parking lots on their way to the gas station. However, that was the last time she was seen by anyone. When Raymond finished, so Raymond finished his bank business at about 9.50 p.m. or a.m. and came back out and waited at the truck for Sherry. At this point, he was a little bit surprised that Sherry hadn't already returned. He had been gone for 20 minutes and the Chevron station was literally across the street. So it shouldn't have taken her that long to run over, grab a drink and come back. He waited for another 25 minutes, but by about 10.30 a.m. she still hadn't returned. Obviously, there was some panic setting in at this point in time, so Raymond used a phone, um, most likely a payphone. This is in like 1984 that we're talking about, to call Betty at the Waffle House and see if Sherry had somehow made her way over there. But no such luck. Raymond then searched the rest of the area with no success, and he and Sherry reported, or sorry, he and Betty reported Sherry missing at 11:46 a.m. Um, so within about an two hours of her going missing she was reported missing to the police a massive search quickly began with police volunteers friends and family looking for sherry it even included an aerial search by crenshaw flying services missing posters were spread around town and, and the surrounding communities and counties despite these efforts and the quick response sherry was never found nor has any concrete lead ever been discovered I just want to make a really quick note here. It's interesting to see the response time for the police in the situation. A lot of times when we discuss kids and teenagers going missing, so not so much kids, but like teens going missing. And Sherry was um, 12 at the time of her disappearance. So a lot, a lot of times when we see anyone basically like 11 or up disappearing, there's tends to be a bit of a lag in response from police. They're often seen as being runaways or like out, up to shenanigans or something and police are more reluctant to respond however the fact that they responded basically within two and a half hours of her disappearance and within like 15 minutes of her being reported missing i think is a very it's a fantastic thing but i think should become something more of a, the norm for the process itself so there's a couple of different theories and questions that arose from what could have happened to sherry the first one is did she run away and the answer is maybe. Um, while there are thousands of runaways every year, there is no sign that Sherry had planned to join them. Sherry's family had always insisted that she was very happy and content and had plans that she was looking forward to that evening, including visiting her grandmother and watching her favorite show. She had no history of, of trouble and was reported as having had a healthy relationship with her friends and family. So there was no sort of like external stressor that anyone knew about that would potentially lead to Sherry wanting to run away. The second question is, was it a stranger danger, random abduction, basically? And this is a more likely option as predators exist all across the globe, even in small town America. While no one witnessed an abduction, it can happen in moments. Following her disappearance, there were also three likely but unconfirmed sightings of Sherry. All three reported seeing a girl who looked like Sherry in the company of a 50-something-year-old white man who had a husky build, a hardened appearance, and a weathered complexion. He was described as being 5 foot 8 in height as well. Witnesses heard the person they thought of Sherry refer to him as BJ, and all reported the girl as appearing very upset, disheveled, and dazed. 
Sherry was described as being five foot four, a hundred to hundred and ten pounds, with brown eyes and hair. She had two she sorry, she had a two inch scar on her abdomen and a one inch scar on her back near her shoulders. She was last confirmed seen wearing a long sleeve red plaid flannel shirt, light jeans, gray runners with Velcro and a black watch. And just a quick side note before we go into some updates that have occurred for this case over the decades. While I'm sure everyone's questioning if it was the stepdad, Raymond was the first person questioned by police. And although he did refuse a polygraph, he was never believed to be a suspect or involved in any way, shape or form. Um, and he was even like devastated on his deathbed. So he passed away in April of 2003 and on his deathbed, he wished to, he told Betty that he had wished with everything that he could have gone and brought Sherry back, but had no idea where she was. So she, he wasn't able to do so. So there's been a couple updates on the situation. So the first one was that in 2018, Berkeley County Sheriff's released a tip that Sherry may have been in the area in 1984. So she had had some friends and or some family members in the area that she had visited the previous summer in 1983. So the question emerged around if that side of the family was involved in either like um, bringing her over to this county or sneaking her away or if they knew that she was hiding out somewhere. But no further information around this tip has ever been released nor any further like nothing's really come out of it. The second one emerged in 2019, and this is kind of a bit of a conspiracy theory, in my opinion, um, but an interesting argument, to say the least. So in 2019, the biggest speculation emerged via Facebook posts. On the Sherry Lynn Marler still missing Facebook page, a woman named Ryan Welch Anderson claimed that she and a group of volunteers had been searching for years to discover what happened to Sherry. Part of the post reads... Sherry Marler was murdered and dismembered by someone she knew very well, not her stepdad, and thrown into a hog pen in Butler County. We believe the person who murdered her is deceased. Deceased. We strongly suspect there are one or two other people there at the time of her murder and that they are also deceased. We strongly believe she was pregnant at the time. We believe she was a victim of a multiple family-based incest pedophilia ring that involved people from both people from both Butler and Crenshaw counties. Ryan claimed that they had unearthed a pig farm that was functional in 1984, but that had been abandoned and reclaimed by nature since then. The group claimed that they had videos of two cadaver dogs hitting on potential human remains in the area. During their excavation, they also claimed to have found clothing, which was then sent for DNA testing. However, Greenville police claimed that there was no DNA found of the material that they processed. Ryan also claimed that a surviving member of the person she believes murdered Cherry had photos, one of which Ryan claims shows a pig standing over a human severed head that had not yet decomposed. The photo was allegedly sent to the FBI by the family member, but they told Ryan they had had sorry, they told Ryan that they had not received it yet. Um, I will post some of these photos on the Instagram page. However, um, the photo with regards to the pig is very, um, it's a photo from the 80s. It's very hard to make out what it is. It does, if you're looking for a head, it can resemble a head, but it's not something that, you know, 
you're going to look at the photo and be like, oh yes, that's a human head. Like it's a very, it, lo it could be a misshapen rock. It could be a piece of wood. There's a lot of other things it could be. Um, and so I think it's one of those things where if you're looking for it to resemble a head, it will, but it may not actually be a head in reality. Um, so despite waiting decades for answers, her mom Betty remains hopeful. And on June 6, 2010, she opened a restaurant dedicated to Sherry's memory. Any information on Sherry's disappearance can be submitted to Greenville Police Department at 1334-382-7461 or to the Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-843-5678. I don't really know what I feel about this case. I think it most likely was some sort of stranger abduction, possibly by someone coming through town. Um, for her to go be disappeared so quickly and for there to be no trace of her is very abnormal in some sorts of abductions because usually kids are going to scream, shout, make noise when they get abducted, um, especially for no one to have seen it and it being a small town and in the middle of the day. Um, yeah, I don't fully buy the multi-family incest ring thing going on i mean i'm sure it's happened before it'll probably happen again however um the claims that were made in the facebook post have no real nothing has shown it to be true at this point in time there's been no evidence posted about it and i think that once you start claiming that people are having like an incest pedophilia ring you have to like back up that information with some sort of evidence otherwise it's just kind of causing speculation and in, inciting panic in a population that this may be happening in their backyard. So with regards to our second episode um, or second part to this episode, like I mentioned before, we're going to do Morgan Nick, who disappeared in 1980, 1995 at six years old. <clears throat> so... Morgan Nick was born September 12, 1988, in Ozark, Arkansas. She was the oldest of her siblings. Um, unfortunately, there's all of her information with regards to how many siblings she had, but I believe she had at least two. Morgan was described as quiet and shy, but with a love of cats and bubblegum, and a Girl Scout who preferred to stay inside and make crafts instead of going outdoors. On June 9, 1995, Morgan and her mother were attending a little league baseball game with some family friends in Alma, Ar in Alma, Arkansas. She joined some friends in catching some fireflies and lightning bugs. However, on their way back to where their parents were sitting, Morgan stopped at her mom's car to empty the sand from her shoes and suddenly she was gone. It was 10.45 p.m. and the police responded within 10 minutes to, this call, to her disappearance. Witnesses had reported seeing a man watching Morgan as she played with the others in the park. They also saw a red pickup, possibly a Ford, with a white camper that disappeared around the same time as Morgan. The camper was damaged at the right rear and was approximately four to five inches too short for the truck. The truck had a short base, aged all paint, and an Arkansas license plate. The man was believed to be between 23 and 28 years old, white, six feet tall with a medium solid build, a mustache, and a one-inch beard. Morgan was four feet tall, 55 pounds, blonde with blue eyes, 
and had five silver molar caps. She was described as wearing a green Girl Scout shirt, denim shorts, and white tennis shoes. Some believe Morgan's kidnapping is connected with two other attempts around the same time in, in the same area. So, on the morning of June 9th in Alma, there was a foiled attempted kidnapping of a four-year-old girl. The perpetrator attempted to pull her into a truck, but her mother heard her screams and was able to retrieve her. The abductor and truck were described as being similar to the ones in the Morgan's case. On June 10th, a man tried to also grab a nine-year-old in the men's restroom of a convenience store in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is 15 miles from Alma, but let go when the girl resisted. He also matches the description of the suspect in Morgan's, cases, in Morgan's case. As such, all three of these incidents are believed to be related. It is also possible that Morgan's case is connected to the abduction and murder of 19-year-old Melissa Missy Witt. Missy was abducted from a bowling alley parking lot in Fort Smith in December 1st of 1994. She was found murdered on January 13th, 1995 in the Ozark National Forest, and her autopsy determined that she had been strangled. Um, so with regards, there are some updates for this case. So in January 2002, police received a tip that Morgan was buried near Boonville, Arkansas. The property was searched, including with a cadaver dog, but nothing was found from that search. In June of 2012, Tanya Smith and James Monhart were arrested for computer fraud after attempting to use Morgan's identity, including trying to purchase her birth certificate. However, it's not believed that they were actually involved in her disappearance. On December 18th of 2017, police and FBI searched a property in Spiro, Spiro or Spiro, Oklahoma, which is 25 miles from Alma. They had previously searched this property back in 2010, and they focused on a well on the property after cadaver dogs alerted to it, but nothing was found during the investigation. On January 9th, 2021, Convicted felon and Arkansas man, Billy Jack Lynx, became the primary suspect, or I guess primary person of interest. He was charged with sexual abuse of a young girl pre previously. On August 29th, 1995, he attempted to abduct an 11-year-old girl from a Sonic drive-in restaurant in, the Van Buren, sorry, in Van Buren, Arkansas, which is only eight miles away from Alma. He was drunk at the time and pulled up in his red 1986 pickup and started making lewd comments towards the girl who was there with her brothers. Um, he was also waving money around and trying to convince her to go into the truck with him. The girl obviously screamed and ran away and he drove off striking a utility pole in the process. Um, police were called and were provided with his license plate. Police quickly arrested him and charged him with sexual solicitation of a child. It probably would have been a good idea to charge him also with attempted abduction, but we'll go with solicitation. Neighbors reported that they had seen a white camper shell on his truck two months prior. When questioned about Morgan, he stopped talking and lawyered up. Police searched his truck and collected fibers, hair, and dried blood. Lynx was sentenced to six years in 1996, but died in 2000 at 76 years old. FBI are still investigating him as a sub suspect in the case of Morgan, 
and there is a strong push to have the blood and hair tested. However, it's not currently known if these have been analyzed. If Morgan is still alive today, she would be 34 years old and I will be posting um, a computer sketch of what she would look like now as well. Um, I think in this case, the primary suspect is very likely to be the individual who was involved. He does meet the um, description of the man at the time. Well, he doesn't meet the description of the man because he was 76 when he died in 2000 and she was abducted in like 1995. So that's definitely off, but his vehicle matches the description. And the fact that he was previously charged with attempting to solicit a child into his vehicle. So um, definitely a super disgusting and questionable man. And I'm hoping that we can get some more information. I hope that if he's being investigated for possibly abducting Morgan, that he's also being investigated for the possible murder or being investigated for the murder of Missy um, as those cases possibly are linked. Those are our two cases for today. I hope you enjoyed them. I will be releasing another episode this week as well. Just a really quick one. Um, kind of in response to the Boy in the Box episode that I made before Christmas. So this is kind of a sibling case to that one. Um, but just wanted to bring it up and let you guys know. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, queries, anything, case suggestions, you can message me on our Instagram, which is when the world falls with underscores between each word. Um, it's going to be in the podcast notes so you guys can look it up, but that's the best way of contacting me. Um, and if you have it again, I hope to see you guys next time and thanks for listening.